Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Up next here on the auction block is the WWE Network, the first ever over-the-top network for pro wrestling fans, which we're going to start the bidding at for just $9.99. Do I hear $9.99? $9.99 from anybody going once, going twice. Come on, WWE Network, $9.99. No? All right, let's drop that down to $7.99. How about that? WWE Network, only $7.99. You got tons of content, classic content, current content, lots of content. Anybody, $7.99, going once, going twice, nope, all right, let's drop that down to $5.99, how about that, $5.99 for the WWE Network, going once, going twice, I do believe we have a bid from that lovely lady in the back, Miss Dixie Carter, yes, the president of TNA Wrestling, Dixie, why don't you stand up and tell us a little bit about yourself? WWE is my main big competitor. I started out funding my own company with a credit card, which I would not advise to do. Unfortunately, Ms. Carter, we ran that same credit card just now for the $5.99 transaction, and the card was declined. So I'm going to have to ask you to take a seat. The bidding will continue. Let's drop that $5.99 price down to $2.99. How about that? $2.99 for the WWE Network. Come on, people. It's a steal. You get tons of content, lots of content, content all day long, content up to your eyeballs. Come on. Anybody. Somebody. All right. Let's drop it down to 99 cents. How about that? Now, you can't beat that. You're getting the WWE Network for just 99 cents. Surely somebody in this audience can afford 99 cents for the world's first over-the-top pro wrestling network. Anybody? Somebody? How about this? We'll offer it for free. We're giving away the WWE Network for free because clearly you people are too cheap to pay for it yourselves. You people have no idea what you have at your fingertips here. We're giving away this content for free because you people are too cheap to pay The Solid Monster sounds off. My client, Brock Lesnar, conquered the street. This doesn't make any sense. Your title belt is made of leather. You're not a real vegan. He's fat. Two of them been beat up properly. Woo! Welcome to episode 352 of The Solid Monster Sounds Off here for Sunday, November 2nd, 2014. I am The Solid Monster. And this week's episode of The Sound Off is brought to you by our good friends at Audible, audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download right now by using our custom URL, audibletrial.com slash solomonster. Over 150,000 titles to choose from, wrestling, non-wrestling books, for your iPhone, your Android, Kindle, tablet, whatever device you have. And you can help support the podcast by using our URLs. Sign up for a free 30-day trial of the service. You get one free audio book that you get to keep no matter what. I know a few of you guys have signed up using our URL this week. And with the holidays coming up, if there's anybody you know in your family, friends, mom, dad, whoever, who may uh, enjoy an audio book or have a need for one, sign them up. Sign them up using our URL and uh, get them a free audio book. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. So audibletrial.com slash Solomonster is the link to use. I hope everybody had a safe Halloween. I uh, spent my Halloween watching a cheesy horror comedy movie that included, of all people, Jerry the King Lawler popping up on my screen as the sheriff of this town where 
you know, this group of people, I don't know if it was spring break or what the hell they were doing. It was like some sort of uh, summer getaway and people are getting killed, they're getting picked off, you have to figure out who the killer is. It's one of those dumb slasher kind of flicks that I, I have a weakness for. So just the idea that I'm watching this movie on Halloween night and Jerry the King Lawler is on my screen now as the sheriff you know, surrounded by scantily clad women in bikinis, it seems rather appropriate, but obviously that kind of caught me off guard. So, I will say this, though, without spoiling anything like I did on Twitter, for those of you, for the two people watching who may actually want to go see this movie and not be spoiled, it's called Girls Gone Dead, and I, and I will say that Jerry Lawler does, in fact, make a much better sheriff than he does a wrestling announcer these days. So there you go, if you want to check that out. Thank you to all the people who sent in positive feedback about my appearance on uh, Aubrey Citizen's Straight Shoot podcast last Monday on Google Hangout. I had a lot of fun uh, being part of that whole thing with uh, Jason Aaron from uh, from Marvel and Aubrey, of course. We were talking Raw, Hell in a Cell, a whole bunch of different topics. It seems like the most controversial of those topics involved John Cena. And again, you can go, the, the, the entire thing, the entire video... It's in video form, although you can also download the audio, I think, from his Stitcher uh, and his podcast host. But the full video is up on his YouTube channel. If you just type in probably Solomonster Straight Shoot, it should come right up. The the Cena stuff was, was interesting because, you know, Aub- Aubrey's opinion of Cena is that he is one of, if not the best wrestler in the world today. Now, had I been uh, chewing on uh, pretzel, perhaps, at that time... Uh, I would not be sitting here doing this podcast right now because I likely would have choked to death. Uh, But we have a difference of opinion on that. Obviously, I don't agree with that statement. I do think, though, that Cena is in some ways, in some ways, possibly underrated. And I know some people are just going to spit nails when they hear that. But what I did was I posted an article that I did for Layfield Report over a year ago, like March of last year. Just to prove to people, I, I my opinion of Cena is not that Cena is garbage, as one person posted in, in support of me, which I appreciate, but in support of me on on the YouTube video on Aubrey's channel, they said, oh, I agree with Solomonster, Cena's garbage. Not one time have I ever said that John Cena is garbage. And I, you know, posted a link on uh, on my Facebook page as a note, as a blog on Facebook, if you want to go back and read the old Layfield column. Where I pose the question, you know, is John Cena underrated or is he just very lucky to have worked with some of the best wrestlers in the last 10 years? Like Shawn Michaels, like CM Punk, like Edge, and others. And, you know, I list some of John Cena's greatest matches, at least as of last year. Because, again, this is about a year and a half old now. And I just pose that question to all of you. That, that's not something that I'm going to come down on one way or the other, because I think there's an argument to be made both ways. I think you can say that in some ways, as a performer, John Cena is underrated, but by no means is he the best wrestler in the world. And I don't even know that really there's any criteria that can justify that point of view, but that's just my opinion. So it was, it was fun to have that debate, and it sparked a lot of debate online, and, and that's good. I think it's good to have a difference of opinion sometimes and not be like robots and just kind of parrot what everybody else says. So it made for an interesting discussion, and I'm sure uh, hopefully it won't be my last time on his show. We'll do it again sometime. But if you didn't see the video, check it out. I think it's worth uh, it's worthwhile. You'll enjoy it. We have some PayPal shout-outs to get to for people who have donated to the Sound Off this past week. You can always do so on thesolomonster.com. That's where the donation box is at all times. You can give whatever you want to, whenever you want to. $10 or more will get you a wrestling nickname, as always. 
Big thanks to Razorblade Trevor Johnson, Tori All I Do Is Win Johansson, Darkstar Kane Holland, The Dapper Don, Daquan, and Mercury Rising, Mode M. Almasir. Thank you very much for making a donation to the podcast. I also want to mention that, for those of you who didn't see it, there is a new shirt up in the Sound of Superstore, up on ProWrestlingTees.com, ProWrestlingTees.com slash SolomonsterSoundsOff. We'll take you directly to our store. Uh, it's the Run SND shirt, as I'm calling it. If you are a fan of Run DMC, you will recognize the design right away. So it's just another way to represent the Sound Off. There's ten different designs up in the store right now, so surely you will find at least one I'm sure that you will like. And uh, hopefully you can represent the Sound Off like Halen Lee was at Wizard World in Columbus, Ohio this week. He was in Columbus this weekend for the big... Uh, Wizard World Convention, and he was representing the Sound Off with one of our old school Raw logo shirts. He got to meet the Wyatt family, who at least on this occasion was still together. Uh, he, he Halen was the fourth member of the Wyatt clan, and he also had the opportunity to meet Paige, which made him the biggest heel, I think, in our entire Facebook group. But congratulations to Halen. It's not uh, every day that you get to say that you you got a hug from Paige. There's a lot of people out there who I think are very jealous of, of Halen right now. I like to think that the reason that Paige was hugging him was not because of Halen, had nothing to do with him, but had everything to do with the Sound Off shirt, I'm sure. So if you want to be hugged by Paige, <laughs> there, there's a hell of a pitch. Pick up a Sound Off shirt. Maybe you'll get lucky. I want to take a moment here to wish a very happy belated birthday to the greatest manager in wrestling history, Bobby the Brain Heenan, who turned 70 years old yesterday. Uh, he is the greatest of all time, and also one of the greatest color men of all time. So I think when people make those statements and they get called out on it, as I have before, well, I, Solomon, sir, I think when you call Bobby Heenan the best, you're lumping his announcing work in there. No, I'm well aware that they're, they're two distinctly different things, and he was the best at both, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Heenan is just awesome, and I... And, you know, when I had a chance to meet him a few years ago in Miami, my very first Mania was the one, you know, the Rock Cena show, the first one. And I went to Miami and they had the Wrestle Reunion 7 event. I don't think they've done a Wrestle Reunion since. They have other conventions now. And I found out that Bobby Heenan was going to be there. And you'd have to buy a ticket depending on the performer that you wanted to meet. You'd have to pay money. And that's just something I don't do. I don't pay money. Like, if I go to these conventions, you know, 30 bucks to meet Lex Luger or, you know, 20 bucks to meet the Bolsheviks or whatever. I don't do that. I, you know, I just, I'm not, I'm not such a, a rabid fan of any one person necessarily where I feel compelled to pay extra money just to meet them. Unless it was like a really, really big name and I just thought it would be cool to just be able to meet them and shake their hand and get a photo. Maybe like a, I don't know, a Steve Austin or a Hulk Hogan level person, then maybe. But normally I don't do that. I'm not really big on autographs anymore anyway. To me, it's just it's much nicer to just meet the person, chat with them briefly, shake their hand and get a photo that you can remember for as long as you want to remember it for. With Heenan, it was different. You know, when I knew he was going to be there, I said, I got to meet this guy. I just, I have to meet him. And if it was 20 bucks or whatever it was, I'll pay the money. Because he's one of those guys I grew up on. He's this legendary performer. And frankly, the guy's been through hell. I think it's well documented that, you know, he had cancer, he beat it, it came back. And, you know, he beat it again. But in the process, he's got the battle scars to show for it. And the stuff with his jaw, having to have his jaw reconstructed. And it's tough. You know, it is. It, I have to say, when I, when I saw him in person, it, it takes you back a little bit when you see him like that. It's not an easy thing to look at. 
And, you know, when I put that picture of me and him online, some people were just amazed. They were, they couldn't believe that that's what Bobby Heenan looks like these days. But again, you got to remember that the guy's been through hell because at the end of the day, he wants to live. And when you have the will to live, you go through a lot of shit, but you do what you have to do to stay alive. And, and that's what he did. And I, I have nothing but respect for the guy. Um, he doesn't look like the Bobby Heenan of old. I choose to remember him that way. But to be able to meet him and shake his hand, and he got a kick out of the uh, That's Not Fair to Flair shirt I was wearing, which I thought was very cool, and get a photo with him. When is the next time I'll ever be able to meet Bobby Heenan, if ever? Right? These thoughts go through your mind. So that was one of the uh, the coolest moments of any of these WrestleManias or any of these shows that I've been to before. Uh, one of the highlights for me, despite how he may appear these days, was being able to meet Bobby Heenan. So 70 years old, despite everything he's been through, is very impressive. And I hope he he keeps on kicking. You know, he every now and then you'll hear a story about a fall at his home and he breaks a hip or he breaks a leg. You know, he's... He's very frail. I mean, unfortunately, again, that's the the byproduct of all the treatments that he's been through. So you hear about that every now and then, and it sucks. But somehow he always manages to recover and work his way back, and he's he's doing his thing. So God bless the brain. Hopefully uh, he has many more birthdays to come. Before we get into the WWE stuff, and there is a lot of news to get to this week, I wanted to do things a little bit differently. And I'm going to start with some thoughts and a review on the new Lucha Underground show, which I was able to catch this past week. I caught it online, although it is airing on a Spanish-language station here where I am on Saturdays at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and it's all in Spanish, so which is important because, at least on this first show, there's a lot of dialogue and cutscenes that set up some of the stories that I think would have been lost on me had I only watched the Spanish-language version. So I was happy that I caught the first run airing online, and it was a fun hour of wrestling, I have to say, it was unlike any other wrestling show I've ever seen before, which I suppose is a good thing, because one of the things I think that we're all sick and tired of these days is just the same old formulaic style from WWE, which TNA uses, and almost every wrestling company uses, right? Sometimes you just watch this and you're just begging for something different. Well, that's what they gave you at Lucha Underground. It's definitely different, I will say that. Uh, the setting may remind some people of the old Wrestling Society X show on MTV, but yeah, this is different than that. This is not the same kind of show, uh, and I liked it. It was interesting enough that I do plan on checking it out again in week two, so that's a good sign. Uh, they've obviously got money behind it. The The production is very professional-looking, very slick, probably the best production of any wrestling. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sling show outside of WWE. I mean, it's got a, a film look to the way that it's shot. Uh, lots of different camera angles. They have an overhead ceiling camera. This this was their first episode, and they already have better production values than TNA, which is um, on a much better cable station and has been around for 12 years. Uh, the announcers for the show were Matt Stryker and Vampiro. 
you know, you could tell Stryker was kind of in his comfort zone. He's no longer under the, the, the thumb of Vince McMahon doing Vince McMahon style of WWE announcing. Uh, he's a wrestling history buff, and it showed through his commentary. Vampiro, by the way, looks nothing like the Vampiro that you may remember from WCW. Uh, and I, I don't watch a lot of Mexican wrestling, whether it's AAA, CMLL, or whatever. I'm not even sure what you know organization most recently that Vampiro's had an affiliation with. So my familiarity with his work, by and large, is from the WCW days, which I know was only a small part of his career. Uh, was never a huge fan, but I was kind of taken aback when I saw how different he looked and, and much older. Uh, Dario Cueto is the storyline owner, or I guess as they as they call him on Twitter, the proprietor uh, of the uh, Lucha Underground organization. And the story of the show is that whoever impressed him the most at the end of the night would get a $100,000 grand prize. They would get $100,000 in cash handed to them, which he had in a briefcase. Uh, he almost came off looking and acting like a drug lord on this show. That's, that's what he kind of reminded me of. Uh, and, and let's be honest, in a dingy-looking warehouse like the one they filmed this in, you got a guy with hundred grand stashed in a briefcase... Okay, there's going to be drugs involved. I don't give a shit what you say. Uh, he actually called the the building his temple, so that's what they call it. Like, you know, TNA used to have the Impact Zone. This is their temple. Uh, it's small building, very rundown look to it. That was the look they were going for. Uh, only a few hundred people, if that. So at least they have that in common with TNA. Uh, the heel owner shtick. I, I think you don't need me to tell you this. The heel owner shtick in wrestling is as played out as it gets. But, but, I have to say, the guy playing the heel owner, he is awesome in the role. He's fantastic. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a, a real actor, and it really does show when he's on screen. Just his performance, his presence, his delivery, uh, the way he comes off. He comes off like a real actor playing this, almost like a drug lord. Again, I keep going back to that drug lord comparison. Uh, he looked like something out of... A uh, you know an action film with like Steven Seagal or something like that. That that's kind of how he came off to me uh, in this show. And they had you know they had a segment with him sitting in his office talking to Conan at one point with dramatic music in the background. That it it looked like something out of a Spanish language soap opera. And I was so into it at one point. I actually wanted it to continue. I was kind of like, no, don't cut back to the ring. Like I don't give a shit about that. I actually wanted to see them continue on with this like it was a real TV show. Uh, like a TV drama. That's how good the guy was and, and how well shot this whole thing was. Uh, is it campy? Yes. It is campy, but I don't know. There, there were parts of it that maybe should have come off as even more campy to me, but I actually kind of got into it. it it's kind of hard for me to explain why that is. Show opened with Blue Demon Jr. and Chavo Guerrero in a... Uh, it was an okay match. Blue Demon beat Chavo by submission with a, a sharpshooter armbar combo... Uh, Blue Demon is the old grizzled vet, 48 years old. Chavo, you know, Ch Chavo's good. I'm not going to say Chavo's a bad wrestler because he's not. But I have never been a huge Chavo Guerrero fan. So I can't say I was overly excited watching this match. Up next was the vignette that I mentioned with uh, Dario Cueto and Conan in, uh, in Cueto's office. He says that he has signed the hottest free agent, one of the hottest free agents in wrestling named Johnny Mundo, who's the former John Morrison, and he wants to test him against one of Conan's boys, this guy Prince Puma, who is the former Ricochet. 
Uh, and that was our main event for later in the show. We then got a training video for Prince Puma with Conan giving us some backstory into who he is. Uh, the character development. I mentioned this because the character development on the show was another thing I really liked about it. I really got a good sense of who each of these guys were. And this is only the first show. And so they've got to make you care about these guys somehow, right? They can't just throw them out there. Here's Wrestler A against Wrestler B. And oh, by the way, one of them is a former WWE guy, so therefore you should watch. They actually went out of their way to explain who they were, why we should care or, or not care about them. But just give us a little bit of insight into who these guys are. And they did. And they did. I like that. I like that aspect of it a lot. Uh, and they did that with the key guys on the show and girls. They then had a package on Sexy Star. She talked about being abused and contemplating suicide, but then she discovered Lucha Libre and the mask saved my life, she said. And now she wrestles as an inspiration to every girl out there not to give up. Every woman is sexy and every woman is a star. Simple, to the point, now I know what this woman is all about. She comes out for an intergender match against a dude that calls himself Son of Havoc, rocking quite the masterful beard. Uh, Had I not been told, I never would have guessed that it was Matt Cross under a mask. Looked nothing like him. Uh, He gets on the mic. What I didn't like was how they clearly, they dubbed over his voice. They made him sound like nails whenever he would cut a promo on the big boss man. It, It just, it sounded goofy. He said he's not fighting a woman. She should just leave, take the count out. And she teased agreeing with him and she stepped outside. And then as soon as he turned his back, she rushed into the ring and attacked him. Uh, he threw her down a few times. They had a, a very brief match. He tried for a lion salt, missed. She caught him with a standing hurricane rana. I thought for sure she was going over here since she got the video package and Son of Havoc did not. Uh, but then he caught her with a backbreaker and hooked the tights and got the win. So he beat a woman. But the story is he had to hook the tights to do it. And you know what? For a hundred grand, I would do the same thing. Johnny Mundo and Prince Puma was the main event. Hell of a main event for your first show. To have uh, John Morrison and Ricochet in there doing their thing. Uh, Mundo beat Puma with the end of the world, which used to be called Starship Pain. The move looks as bad as it did in WWE. Uh, I'm sorry, I never liked that move. It, he, he barely catches the guy when he lands. So yeah, he's doing all these weird, wacky twists in the air. But then when he lands on the guy, he catches like 10% of him. I, I still fail to see what's so impressive about the move. But he won with the move. Um... I thought the rest of the match was great, aside from that. I thought it was the best match on any wrestling show on TV all week. Better than Cena and Rollins on Raw. Better than Rudin Lashley on Impact. Uh, and think about this. Think about this, okay? Long before WWE ever signed Kevin Steen or Prince Devitt or Kenta, they passed on Ricochet. Triple H passed on Ricochet. He impressed everybody at his tryout. I mean, I remember hearing about it. You know, Jamie Noble even went to management and I think said, listen, this guy's awesome. We got to we gotta pick him up. And they still passed on the guy. So WWE's loss is Lucha Underground's gain because this guy is spectacular to watch in the ring. And we didn't even see what he's fully capable of here in this match. It's kind of like Adrian Neville in NXT. He's great, but so many people have no concept of how great he really is because it's almost like he's he's been slowed down for sure. And it's almost like they haven't taken the handcuffs off him yet. And, and I feel like every time he has a big match, like the big match he'll have with Sami Zayn in December, I think we'll end up seeing things in that match from both those guys we haven't seen before. Because there's so many guys on NXT like that that they plucked from the indies. And we've only seen, 
you know, barely half of what those guys have in their arsenal. And Ricochet is another one of those guys. But this was, uh, and the other thing about him also, he's young. He's like 25, I think. So, uh, yeah, they passed on him. Uh, Lucha Underground picked him up. And uh, they really benefited from it. This was this was a great match. So when the match is over, they shake hands, they embrace. Out comes Dario Cueto with his briefcase full of money, seemingly to present it to Johnny Mundo. Uh, but when Mundo grabs it, Cueto won't let go. So they're you know he won't give it to him. They're fighting over it. They struggle for a few seconds over it. Two dudes jump Mundo from behind. They attack Prince Puma as well. I have no idea who they were. Uh, they were dressed up like two gangbangers. Then out walks the former Ezekiel Jackson. Didn't I just see him as one of Dixie's goons on Impact a few weeks ago? Like a week after WWE let him go? And here he was on this show. He walks out, Jack to the gills. They call him Big Rick, or Big Rike, maybe is how they're going to pronounce it, because his real name is Rycon. Is it Ricklon? No, it's Ricklon. I'm sorry. It's Ricklon. Uh, he drops Mundo with a rock bottom. Puma gets laid out with a brutal, this was brutal, a brutal Cutter into a code breaker is the best way I can describe it. It looks like his face was broken. <laughs> uh, all three men, who apparently are to be known as the Crenshaw crew, stood with Queto as the show went off the air. So, you know, stereotypical heel owner ending with his goons behind him. Again, it's something we've seen in wrestling a million times before. I'm not enthusiastic about that. But in terms of the performances, I was way more impressed than I thought I would be. And the biggest thing I liked about the show is that unlike TNA, and I hate to keep picking on TNA, but they deserve it, so I will. Unlike TNA, this felt like a real alternative to what we see each week on WWE television. You know, there were elements, like the heel authority figure and his group of henchmen that have been done to death, but that aside, it was a very different hour of pro wrestling. And that's the other thing I liked about it. It was only an hour long. It didn't overstay its welcome. I didn't get to the halfway point and think, oh my god, we have 30 minutes left. When the show was over, it was like, wow, that passed by pretty quick. And and so there's a lot to like about this show, I think. And I'll definitely uh, try, anyway. Hopefully I can get the non-Spanish feed and uh, check out episode 2 when it airs this week. If it's in your area, I would check it out. I think it's worth at least giving it a shot. Keep an open mind about it, even if you're only a WWE guy or a TNA guy. Uh, just keep an open mind, because we need more alternatives in wrestling like this now more than ever. And at least for one episode, I felt like Lucha Underground gave us that. And that's really all you can ask for. WWE Network. There's a lot of news that came out about the network this week. I got an email, as many of you I'm sure did, from WWE telling me that the network is now $9.99 without a six-month commitment. They have done away with the six-month commitment. Uh, they've also made the network free. For new subscribers the entire month of November, which means that they're giving Survivor Series away for free. Uh, They also announced that the network uh, currently has 731,000 subscribers. Total, 731,000 subscribers. And that number may well be even less than that now, because that was the number as of September 30th. And I think that fell right around the time that people's uh, subscriptions were, were lapsing. So it's entirely possible that number is actually less than that by now. And and that number itself was awful. That is an awful number. Uh, that's 31,000 subscribers up from what they announced last time. Uh, and they've added 30,000 international subscribers since opening those countries over the summer. 170 new countries 
and they picked up, I think the, the total number was like 28,000 international, which means whatever they picked up domestically here in this country, it was virtually nothing. It, it was flat. The growth was flat in the U.S., and they picked up 28,000 new people from overseas. It's no wonder they're giving this network away for free. I'm just, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how that's even possible. Uh, and I have I had a lot of you point out to me, and, and you're probably right. That's probably as good a reason as any as far as why they picked up so few international subscribers, even though they opened it up to all these countries. Reason being, they obviously underestimated the number of international subscribers who found a way through proxies or however to get the network before it launched overseas. And I know a lot of you guys listening to this right now, a lot of guys in our Facebook group were watching the network from countries all over the world at a time when, theoretically, they should not have had access to it. People will find a way to get what they want. And WWE, obviously, because there's no other logical explanation for it, they severely underestimated, or they knew and they just flat out you know, played dumb and lied, about how many people they, they knew were already on the network. And frankly, I don't see how they could not have known. They were probably dreading this day because they knew. You know, they're not stupid. They have all of these numbers. They have all this data. So this is what ends up happening here. And the stock, you know, tanked. It went down, of course. Wall Street was not happy about this. Um, So it was not a good day on Thursday when they announced all of these numbers. Uh, They are launching the U.S. version of the network in the UK this Monday, November 3rd, tomorrow, as I am recording this. And by the time many of you listen to this podcast, the network will already be up and running in the UK. Uh, you should have the same version that we have, over the top, as they call it. Uh, not the actual you know, cable channel version that Rogers is offering up in Canada. And uh, the first month is free, for those of you in the UK. So you don't pay for anything. The- lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The price in December when you start getting billed is going to be the same $9.99 we pay in the U.S., so... Uh, those poor Canadians, they're really getting screwed over. Not only is it not the over-the-top version, and it's only through Rogers, which does not cover all of Canada, but I think the network up there is eleven ninety-nine. So our Canadian fans are, uh, are getting screwed. So yeah, all the UK people out there, you now uh, are getting access to the network. Uh, so in summary, you can now just subscribe to the network if you want to for nine ninety-nine, get what you want, and then bail. This is a bad idea. I do not think that this will work out well for WWE. I know why they're doing it, but unless they have other measures built in, let's say, to uh, prevent people from just giving out their account information and having all their friends use their login, which is 
a hole they still haven't patched. I know because I've tried it. Um, unless they can kind of nip that in the bud and they have a, a plan in place, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, in theory, I can subscribe to the network in March or April, get WrestleMania for $9.99, and then ditch the whole fucking thing. I, I don't see how that's a winning formula for the network long term. Because, you know, who wouldn't just sign up for one month for the biggest show of the year and knowing you have 30 days of service, you can catch up on the Rumble, other big shows you may have missed, NXT specials, watch some of the classic content, and by the end of the month, all right, I'm done. I've seen what I wanted to see. I got my 10 bucks worth. I'm finished. I just don't see how luring people in, you know, and that's all we're going to hear about this Monday night. Free, free, free. That's the new hashtag. It's not $9.99 anymore. Now it's free, free, free. So we're going to hear that until our ears bleed. Uh, I don't see how giving away the store is going to end up helping the network and pick up a ton of subscribers. I just don't see it. I don't see how it happens, and I think it's a big mistake. Jim Ross is absolutely right when he says the number one way you can attract more people to the network is making the current product better. Improve the creative. Steve Austin was on his podcast this week, apparently, railing against WWE creative right now. Okay, these are these are big names who were part of the creative machine in WWE at one point. They know how it works. They know how this stuff goes. They were in it. They were part of it. And both guys are saying the same thing. Creative right now sucks. It is dull. It is uninspired by and large. Okay, you can find things here and there that you like about it, whether it's the Rollins Ambrose feud or people get excited now for Ambrose and Wyatt. Not every single thing sucks. But by and large, it's a cold product right now. It's it's just boring. It's a bore. You've got three hours every Monday night. Why should they pay for more? Why should the average fan feel compelled to pay for more WWE right now? As if they don't get enough? You need to give those people a reason. For me, I love the classic stuff, okay? And I love NXT. But your average fan doesn't care about that stuff. Probably because in, ter- like in terms of NXT, they may not even know about it. But they do such a poor job of advertising it on Raw, and instead all they talk about is $9.99. Who cares what the price is? Who cares? As if we don't know. At the SmackDown tapings on Tuesday in Houston, WWE sent the big show out to the ring for a dark segment. I think it was before the taping started to let the fans know that Daniel Bryan may be undergoing surgery on his right elbow. Now, there's been a lot of rumors about this for a while, that Brian may need surgery, then he was told he wouldn't need surgery. Now it looks like he may need surgery after all. And that sucks for him, because I get the impression that this guy just wants to get this over with. He's not averse to anything that will help fix this problem. He's still not getting strength back in his right arm. If surgery is needed, he'll have the surgery. But it sounds to me like this guy just keeps getting jerked around. And the longer this goes on for the longer it is before he's able to get back to the ring, if he's able to get back into the ring. So I feel bad for the guy. His his year started out very promising, one of the highlights of his career, and then ever since WrestleMania, and, and he went on his honeymoon, it's just been a downward spiral for the guy ever since. Uh, and it sucks, and I feel bad for him. But I want to bring this, I wanted to bring this up because they send the big show out there, just at random, to make this announcement to the crowd. And it's not like they confirmed anything. He didn't say Brian is going under the knife. It was almost like, no, he may have to go under the knife. And 
they did so to encourage the crowd to chant yes. From what I can tell from people who were there, there was you know it was said that they were going to put something together to show Brian to show him the support from the fans. So everybody get you know to your feet and chant yes, yes, yes. So the entire building in support of Daniel Bryan starts chanting yes, yes, yes. Well, now it becomes a little bit clearer why they did this. It had nothing to do with Daniel Bryan had nothing to do with putting a video together to send to him or show him to encourage him as he prepares for possible surgery. No, it had nothing to do with any of that. What they did, and I did catch this, and it was so it was it was fake as all hell. But that's one of the reasons why I just can't sit through SmackDown these days, is because of the way they edit and they sweeten the crowd, and it's so painfully obvious, and so, it just it's terrible. What they did was they opened the show with a Vince McMahon video talking about the free month of November on the WWE Network, how you can subscribe for free, you can get Survivor Series for free, and Vince starts his own yes, yes, yes chant. And what they do is they take the footage that they filmed dark in the building for Brian of everybody going crazy and chanting yes, as they were encouraged to do by the big show, And they splice it in, they cut to the crowd, and they show everybody on their feet and everybody chanting yes, 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 as though they're all excited about the free month of November for the WWE Network. On a scale of slimy things the WWE has done over the years, I'm sure this ranks pretty low on the totem pole, but I just saw that and and heard about that, and I just... It just... Something is awfully slimy to me about that. It just rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. It bothered me when I heard that, just because it's they're they're so full of shit, and they're so desperate with this network. It's obvious, and and maybe they should be because they've banked everything on this thing, and they need it to work, and they need it to be a success. So, any any creative ways they can come up with, I guess, to uh, encourage participation and encourage people to give the free trial a shot, they should do. This to me stepped over a line that they shouldn't have stepped over. I just think it comes off to me as unbelievably disingenuous and just really freaking slimy I've got my full Hell in a Cell review up on our YouTube channel youtube.com slash the Solomonster 35 minute full review of last weekend's pay-per-view if you want uh, my thoughts on that show I thought overall a very good show with two main events that delivered uh, Rollins and Ambrose more so delivered what I would expect out of a Hell in a Cell match uh, also talked about the finish involving Bray Wyatt and the hologram and uh, kind of giving a defense of it. So if you want the full review, go on the YouTube channel. I'm not going to repeat all of that here. Uh, you can get the full Hell in a Cell review up there right now. And also subscribe to the channel while you're there as we close in on 10,000 subscribers. Monday Night Raw from this past Monday night was live from San Antonio, Texas. Talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Raw open with a manic promo from Randy Orton. Uh, Manic's a good word for it. He came out to interrupt the latest authority circle jerk in the middle of the ring. He cut a promo on Seth Rollins. He was talking a mile a minute. Uh, It was a promo straight out of the 80s when everybody was all coked up. (laughs) Those are the best promos, by the way. Uh, Those those coked up promos in the 80s. There's a classic Mega Powers promo from like 1987, I think, right after they formed. It was from a Saturday Night's Main Event episode, so it's on the network, I'm sure, where Hogan actually starts laughing at one point during the promo. Uh, it's the most hilarious thing. Uh, those guys were so blitzed out of their minds, but as a kid, you didn't know any better. 
Uh, Hunter tries to calm down Randy Orton. Orton's going nuts. He's telling Triple H, I'll calm down when he's dead, in reference to Rollins. Hunter tells him, look, go to the bus, have a drink, take the night off, calm down. And so Orton ends up nailing Rollins with an RKO out of nowhere, slithers out of the ring, never to be seen again for the rest of the show. I think they had a clip of some interview backstage that they taped when Orton came back through the curtain, but that was it. That was the extent of his uh, presence throughout the rest of the show. Uh, Rollins, by the way, sold that RKO like a champ. I mean, he ate that thing and played dead for just minutes on end. Crowd was going crazy for Orton. Segment started out like any other opening authority segment, but ended well. I thought this was really good. I liked this. That's why I wanted to single it out here. Uh, We had gold and stardust. And by the way, I love how Goldust now is just gold. <laughs> I know I know. during the match they refer to him as Goldust, but he's just gold now, apparently. That's, that's his primary name. He's no longer Goldust, it's just gold. Uh, they wrestled Big Show and Mark Henry for the tag team titles. What they did to deserve a tag team title match, I have no idea, but they got one. I guess because they were big, so they got a title match. So this is where they finally pulled the trigger. They did the turn. Mark Henry turned on Big Show, laid him out with three world's strongest slams. Uh, all I can say is this. During the match, the, the story they tried to portray here is that the Big Show tagged Mark Henry. And Henry basically snapped because the Big Show tagged him too hard. I, I shudder to think what might happen if somebody actually cut off Mark Henry, let's say, in traffic on the road, how he might react. So... All this time, all these weeks to come up with some idea as to how you want to do the turn. What's the explanation for the heel turn? He tagged him too hard. It upset Mark Henry. I think the better story, if they really wanted to be creative, I don't know how many people noticed this, but during the match, some of the people in the crowd started chanting sexual chocolate when Mark Henry was in the ring. They cut to a shot of the big show on the apron And the Big Show is encouraging the sexual chocolate chants, which obviously bother Mark Henry. But there's Big Show on the apron, sexual chocolate! He's actually encouraging those chants from the crowd. And I I tweeted this out as soon as I saw that. I said, this guy is just begging for Mark Henry to turn on him. And sure enough, a few minutes later, that's what he did. But they never mentioned that. That at least would make sense. Big Show's on the apron encouraging 15-year-old chants that Mark Henry can't stand... So the guy turns on him. It's a hell of a lot better than he tagged me too hard. Then later on in the show, they, they get Mark Henry backstage, Renee Young does or whoever, and they say, what happened? You know, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? And they're, they're playing the whole story. Well, he's jealous of me, and I'm better than him. It's such a cliched story. It, it's so contrived. Like, that's the best you could come up with. The big show is jealous of me. I, I'm serious. I mean, the sexual chocolate stuff would at least make sense. But that's not the direction they're going in. We had another short Roman Reigns interview. Short enough where if you blink, you may have missed it. Uh, He is now being referred to as the Juggernaut. And I made the comment online. I said, I have not one time ever heard Roman Reigns referred to as the Juggernaut. Some of you pointed out that Michael Cole has mentioned it before. He may have mentioned it back at the Elimination Chamber when they did the Shield and the Wyatts. I'll take your word for it. I don't remember him saying it. But they're building it up like we should all just refer to him as the Juggernaut or the Big Dog. He's got all these nicknames now. Uh, He said he's got his sights set on Seth Rollins when he comes back. All I can say to that is why? Why? He already did what Dean Ambrose couldn't do. He beat Seth Rollins clean in the middle of the ring. And he did it on Raw, no less. 
six days before their pay-per-view match at Night of Champions that never happened because Reigns got hurt. But they'll just pretend that it never happened. We had John Cena and Stephanie McMahon had an in-ring segment. I'm not going to recap everything that was said here. All I'm going to say is this. This thing ended up devolving into Stephanie McMahon attempting to recruit John Cena to join the authority. And it's one of those segments that just, it makes me cringe as a wrestling fan. Because we've seen John Cena come out now for how many years now? What, 10 years, 12 years doing his shtick? Hustle, loyalty, respect. And how many times have we had to sit through John Cena promos where he addresses the fact that people want me to go heal? Or they want me to be, they want me to be the bad guy. They want me to be the villain, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change who I am just because some people want to knock me down. All these impassioned speeches about why he does what he does and the, and the charity stuff, and when I look in the eyes of a sick kid, or I look in the eyes of one of those soldiers, and it really, it, it brings a tear to your eye. All these times that we've seen John Cena cut these promos, and we're supposed to buy into the fact that, well, he's just going to join the authority. <laughs> he'll just abandon all of his principles, and he'll agree. Yeah, sure, I accept. I join the authority. That's number one. Number two. How many fucking times are we going to sit here and listen to the same John Cena promo over and over and over and over again, where whether it's him or Stephanie in this case, they bring up the fucking chants from the crowd. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you hear them, John? Do you hear them? They're booing you. They're chanting, Cena sucks. They don't like you. Turn, turn, right? How many times have we seen this? How many times have they done this in just the last two or three years? We just saw it a couple of months ago with Paul Heyman. The same fucking promo. And, and you know, John Cena only gets part of the blame for that. Because they scripted this shit. How many fucking times can they rely on the same promo for this guy? And we're supposed to care. Now, they were lucky because in San Antonio, for whatever reason, the people were into John Cena. The one fucking building in the entire country where when you try to get them to chant Cena sucks, they don't. And they actually chant Cena, Cena. And apparently it messed with whatever Stephanie's promo was supposed to be. But Stephanie is so good that she can think on her feet and they kind of adjusted it accordingly. But it's like, how many times are we supposed to sit through this? Why do I, as a viewer, give a shit if the fans are chanting for this guy, if they're not chanting for this guy, you know, he, he just beat Randy Orton the night before. He earned a shot at Brock Lesnar's WWE Championship. He's primed for a main event on this very show against Seth Rollins. Of all the things for him to come out and talk about, we have to see through the same promo that we've seen a million freaking times before. And that's what really annoyed me about this more than anything else. And I said, 
you know, sometimes John Cena shows that he can cut a really good promo. John Cena can be one of the best promo guys in the company when he's on his A-game and when he's given the material to work with. He shows that he can cut a great promo on some nights. This was not one of those nights. This was one of those grating John Cena promos where he comes out, he's the narrator. He's the voice of the WWE. He's the Morgan Freeman of the WWE. The way he speaks and how he kind of, he summarizes everything. I don't need you to come out and give me a fucking summary. They can take a voiceover guy and have them do that. Better yet, here's an even better idea. Why not have your three announcers at ringside do that? Why not make them useful for a change and have them summarize what's going on and not John Cena? That's not John Cena's job. It's one of those corny things about the character that I fucking hate. But just this whole promo of how she's trying to convert him to the dark side and the people, and John Cena, of course, the people paid their money. They can come and share. How many times do I have to hear this shit? I hated this. This was terrible. I I just, I couldn't stand this. But it had a purpose. It had a purpose, even though the segment could have been about 12 minutes shorter than it was. But it had a purpose. And the purpose was to set up a Survivor Series elimination match where John Cena will captain one team against Team Authority. That's the big main event for the Survivor Series. There's no title match. Uh, that's that's it. That's going to be the main event. Four on four, five on five, whatever form it takes. Uh, I'm okay with that. I, I like the Survivor Series concept. You can't do a whole show full of Survivor Series matches like you used to. But to have one or two main ones is cool. I'm happy to see them at least keeping the concept alive. Even though week after week after week on television for free... We constantly see tag team matches. We constantly see six-man tags with the same guys. So this idea that they're going to sell a pay-per-view on a tag team match as a main event is kind of comical to me. But then you find out they're giving it away for free, so it doesn't even fucking matter. Now we know why they're giving it away for free and why they're doing a tag team match as a main event. It's obvious to me Cena will end up recruiting or attempting to recruit Randy Orton for his team. Uh, to challenge the authority. Maybe not, you know, maybe Orton joins Team Authority and ends up turning on them the way that Kurt Angle turned on the Alliance at Survivor Series all those years ago when they, uh, you know, ixnade the invasion. Maybe that happens, and he gets the big babyface pop in his hometown of St. Louis, which is where Survivor Series is. But I think it's better if he joins Team Cena. So that way we can avoid another John Cena versus Randy Orton confrontation. I have seen enough of John Cena versus Randy Orton on opposite sides of the ring, one-on-one in the ring, or in tag matches, or any kind of match. I would much rather they be partners to avoid that. Although, we all know what happened once upon a time when John Cena and Randy Orton were tag team partners. They wiped out the entire Raw roster 17-on-2. Orton does start filming a movie for WWE. He's filming The Condemned 2 uh, on November 11th. So... I would be surprised if he altogether just missed the pay-per-view. It's possible. He may not even be at Survivor Series. I I find that hard to believe. I'm sure they'll work his schedule around the pay-per-view. In the movie, by the way, he plays a a former bounty hunter who ends up in a tournament where people fight to the death. This was the movie that Steve Austin was in the first one. It completely bombed, and WWE blamed it on Lionsgate or whoever the distributor was, and there was a whole big fight over it. Well, anyway... So Randy Orton now gets to be Sloppy Seconds in the Condemned series. Didn't Randy Orton get uh, Sloppy Seconds or whatever in another series, too? I could have sworn he was in uh, another movie where he was like um, an ambulance worker. 
it was actually not bad as far as action movies go, but I feel like John Cena had the role first, then they gave it to Orton. What the hell was the name of that movie? What was it um was it Twelve Rounds? It might have been the Twelve Round series. I don't remember. It's been it's been long enough. But anyway, it's Team Cena versus Team Authority as the Survivor Series main event. I, I can envision a John Cena, Randy Orton, Dolph Ziggler, maybe Ryback team if they're doing four on four against Rollins, Kane, and the Stooges, Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury. Um, It is worth noting that the Scott Trade Center, which is hosting the Survivor Series in St. Louis, they sent a tweet out on their account uh, announcing that Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose would have a singles match on the show, as it should be. And that's one of the things I wanted to mention here, too, is I'm hoping that they're not just going to shoehorn Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt into this match. You know, coming off what happened at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, I was not thrilled, and I'm going to get into it in a second here, I was not thrilled with the way they followed that up on Monday night. They need to have a one-on-one singles match. Just a one-on-one fight where they just butt heads. They, they should not be shoehorned into a multiple-man tag team match on this next show. So I do not want to see them involved in that Survivor Series match. I do not want to see Dean Ambrose as another member of Team Cena. I don't want to see Bray Wyatt aligning with the authority. I want them to do their own thing separately. Plus, how many guys can you fit in that match? You need other matches on the show. You can't just shoehorn everybody into that one match. So it sounds like that's the direction they're going in. They're going to keep Wyatt and Ambrose separate. That's the way it should be. Now, if they don't want to do that first match with Again, Cena, Orton, Ziggler, and Ryback as a team. You could do Cena, Orton, Ziggler, and the Usos, if maybe they want to do uh, five-on-five. And we've seen Cena chummy with the Usos before. They've actually been partners in tag team matches before. Uh, The Usos have cooled off a little bit, but they, they were getting a pretty big push there for a while. So I could see them wanting them, you know, to be like the real workhorses in that match. And on the other side, you have Rollins, Kane, Cesaro, and the Stooges, perhaps. Of course, it appears Cesaro may be in the doghouse for the comment he made in an interview before Hell in a Cell where he said what the rest of us are all thinking, which is that people are sick of seeing John Cena versus Randy Orton for the 500th time. Uh, And look what happened subsequent to that. He lost two straight falls to Ziggler at Hell in a Cell, Then he got beat up by Dean Ambrose with a microphone on Raw, like a loser. And then he lost to Ambrose in a a trick-or-treat match on Friday night where they put a pumpkin on his head. It looks like the issue with him and Ziggler is over. They've moved on, now it's Ziggler and Kane. But, you know, if they put Cesaro in the match, I'm sure he'd be the first one eliminated anyway within the first 60 seconds. Because this fucking company is so petty, they cut off their nose to spite their own face. Uh, but that's just how they do things, unfortunately. Cesaro is one of the, the great crimes right now, I think, in terms of how they're treating him in WWE. Cena is uh, caught conversing backstage with Dolph Ziggler. Kane took that as a sign of aggression against the Authority, so he booked himself in a match with Dolph later in the show. Bo Dallas came out to issue an open challenge which was accepted by the returning Ryback, who is now back as a babyface. He had his babyface theme music, where they put all the little sound things back in there, where he says, feed me more, which they had taken out, if you remember. Uh, he, had, you know, he had his feed me more chance, his pyro, everything that they had stripped away from him as a heel. And it's not the first time we've seen them do that. They did that to Damian Sandow. Uh, they did it a little bit to Del Rio, you know, when they took the cars and all that away. 
they take these heels and they strip them of everything that helped get them over in the first place. Or in terms of Ryback, he was a babyface, so I guess the idea was he's a heel, we don't want people to cheer for him, but, you know, Ryback as a heel never worked the way that Ryback as a babyface did. So they gave him all that stuff back. He got loud feed-me-more chants from the crowd. He basically squashed poor Bo, finished him off with the shell shock, and, you know, a lot of people are wondering, you know, could this be a kind of a second... A second chance for Ryback. A second chance at life. Could this be the rebirth of the Ryback character? Could he be pushed into a main event position? I said a long time ago that Ryback was dead. They killed him. Whatever they had with him was killed dead. Uh, I don't see Ryback ever getting back to that position again. But that doesn't mean that Ryback can't be over as an upper mid-card babyface on the roster. And God knows they can use more guys like that right now. Brian ain't coming back anytime soon. Reigns is probably out until January. They need guys like that. And it was really cool to see Ryback come out, and it was almost like we were back in a time warp to last year, or, or the year before. I guess it would have been the year before, where he was just massively over and the people were into him. I didn't notice anybody chanting Goldberg at him, which is amazing. You get that in every Ryback match, and I'm sure we'll we'll get it again. Uh, I mean, after all, this, this is a crowd that cheered John Cena, so a little bit of an aberration there. But for one night anyway, it was almost like we were back in time. And if you saw the interview that Ryback did for WWE.com with, with Eden uh, when he went backstage... He got all emotional, he got very teary-eyed, he was talking about a lot of shit that he's been through and how he was a bad person, he was in a bad place, he was treating people like crap and that's not right. It seemed very much genuine and heartfelt and of course the sort of thing that they won't show on TV. Because why should they? Why should they show something like that for us to get more sympathy for the big guy? I would be stunned if they put that on television, even though they should. So I'm, uh, I'm pulling for Ryback. I hope he can get back at least some of that magic he had before, but I don't ever see him getting back to that level again. I just don't see it. I think whatever they had with him, they squandered it. Uh, call it poor timing, you know, the stuff with Punk, and they couldn't take the title off Punk. And, you know, it was a no-win situation for Ryback, and it goes back to that Hell in a Cell match with Punk when Brad Maddox low-blowed him, and he, he got pinned for the first time, and he was never the same after that. And then, of course, after that, he lost every single pay-per-view match he was in. WrestleMania, he's got Mark Henry over his head, and Mark Henry falls on him, and he loses to Mark Henry. It was just one bad move with him after another. Uh, and I don't, I just don't see him getting back to that level, but that doesn't mean you can't make something out of him as a single, as a single star, as a babyface. I think there's something there with Ryback. Ambrose and Cesaro were supposed to have a match. Never got started. Ambrose instead was destroying him with repeated microphone shots, just hitting him in the head over and over again. Cesaro looked like an enhancement guy here. Bray Wyatt came out, uh, or came on the Titantron, I should say, for a promo about how, you know, you and I, Dean, are the same. I'm not over Bray's promos the way some people are. They're like, I'm so over it. I'm not. I like it. But I will say this sucked. This sucked as a follow-up to what happened the night before. I understand the slow build. It's not that I'm an impatient person. But to me, the night after, when you come off an angle like what they did at the end of the show, which left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and I defended that finish in the in my Hell in a Cell review on YouTube. I defended it. I, I did not hate on it. But... I feel like if there's something that you can look back on, let's say, the Attitude Era on, which you, you can't just go back to the Attitude Era all the time, but I will say this about the Attitude Era. Whenever, let's say, Steve Austin would get screwed, 
He would get screwed out of the championship. He would get screwed by Mr. McMahon. He didn't come back the next night with dueling promos. Something happened the next night to illustrate how pissed off Steve Austin was. And he didn't just go to The Rock and ding him in the head a few times with a microphone. Okay, the guy. in this case, they should have sent Bray Wyatt out there for an in-ring promo, which he doesn't do very many of. Or give Bray a match against whoever. Let him be the one to go out there and squash Cesaro, since you don't seem to have anything planned for him anyway. And Dean should run out and go right after Bray. And there should be this huge pull-apart brawl. They're rolling around. Dean is trying to just get him in the worst way. And the authorities, goons, or security, whoever, they come out to break it up. There should have been some hot you know, angle, some hot brawl like that. And then you can segue in the next few weeks into the dueling promos. They really needed to capitalize off it. They needed something hot the next night, and they dropped the ball. This was not hot at all. This was cold. This was the same old, same old. Uh, I don't think it's what this needed to be. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There, there really should have been a big brawl of some kind with Ambrose wanting to tear this guy limb from limb because this guy cost him his big chance inside the cell to finish off Seth Rollins once and for all. And, you know, Ambrose was out there. He looked crazed and all that, but he looks crazed every week. You know, you got to up the ante sometimes, and I just feel like they didn't do that. They didn't do that on this show. Nikki Bella beat Naomi with the rack attack. Brie was out there in her sister's corner as her slave for the next month. And at one point, she grabbed Naomi's leg for this, you know, mild distraction. Really, Brie didn't do anything major here. Uh, I'm not even sure why she was out there. Her job was to act all torn up by having to help her sister. And we all know that acting is not one of Brie Bella's strong suits. Dolph Ziggler, shocked the world. Shocked me. Pin Kane. It should never be a shock when a champion pins a non-champion, but in today's WWE it is. Uh, he won with a sunset flip, long match, 15 minutes they went through They went through a commercial break, which is dangerous in a Kane match. Uh, but this turned into a real good match by the end, so the, the Intercontinental Champion not only wins, but also brings Kane to a great match. I say, double that man's pay for the week. And of course, he paid the price for it on SmackDown by getting killed by Kane, and then beaten a second straight time in 20 seconds by Seth Rollins. I had a, uh, a hearty laugh on this show at WWE's Did You Know fact that Raw, did you know that Monday Night Raw is more popular than Monday Night Football in Mexico? I didn't know that. That's an amazing stat. <laughs> they're, they're more popular than Monday Night Football in Mexico. That'd be like me saying, oh, my podcast is more popular amongst wrestling fans than it is amongst chess fans. Main event was... 
excellent. John Cena versus Seth Rollins, only the second best match this week behind the Johnny Mundo Prince Puma match on Lucha Underground. Now, now let's examine this for a second because I know this upset a lot of you, and and you do have a point in being upset. John Cena wants his hands on Seth Rollins in the worst way. He wrestles Dean Ambrose in a contract on a pole match for the right to get at Rollins. And I know that would have been a Hell in a Cell match, which makes it different. It really doesn't. He wanted his hands on Seth Rollins. He wrestled Ambrose for it. Ambrose wins. So what happens? John Cena gets the consolation match with Randy Orton, becomes the number one contender for the WWE title, and ends up wrestling Seth Rollins the next night anyway. So the moral of the story is that even when John Cena loses, he still wins. Of course, how else would this great match end other than Kane running in for the DQ? You know, it's, it's funny to me. You, you see memes all over the place on Twitter, Facebook, but it really is true. I really do think that Kane has a star meter on him. That's what I call it. He has a star meter on him at all times, like, like, a, like a Geiger counter. And when a match exceeds, let's say, four stars, the meter goes crazy, and that's Kane's cue to interfere. That's actually kind of a, a funny gimmick for him if they ever wanted to, to go in that direction. But I thought Seth Rollins was awesome in this match. Cena worked hard, too. He was good. But Rollins is in a league of his own. He, he was the real star in this match. He may be the best guy on the roster right now. After the DQ, the entire locker room emptied out. Giant brawl erupted. You would think it was six days before the Royal Rumble. The tease is, who will end up on Team Cena and who will end up on Team Authority? And that will be the the dominant storyline over the next several weeks. And again, I don't know what's going on with Orton in his movie, but I would be stunned if Cena did not end up recruiting Orton to be on his team at Survivor Series. And I think that would be the way to go. It looks like Kevin Steen has his new name in WWE, and it will be Kevin Owens. Uh, WWE filed to trademark the name last week. Steen has a son named Owen, who he named after the late Owen Hart. Uh, so it sounds like he had input into it, and it may actually have a meaning to him. So that's pretty cool. I think as far as names go, that's one of the safer ones. I have no problem with that. Uh, it sounds also like we could see him as early as the next TakeOver special. Uh, a lot of rumors that he will either debut at that special or the tapings that are being done, I think, the day after so I think uh, very soon we will see some Kevin Steen on, on NXT. This past week's show is all about the road to redemption for Sami Zayn. And in case you didn't know that, Jason Albert was there to tell you about a thousand times on this show uh, that it's his road to redemption, road to redemption. When WWE gets their buzzwords, boy, do they beat them to death. Show open with a pre-recorded backstage promo with Sami Zayn, who is interrupted by Titus O'Neil. For the love of God... Just stop already. I've had my fix of Titus. He challenged Sammy to a rematch. All I can think is why. I have no idea. He already beat him two weeks ago, but there's our main event. We had our number one contenders tag team battle royal with the Villains, the Ascension, Kaz and Enzo, Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger, and the team of Buddy Murphy and Wesley Blake. They went with the same old shit where Aiden English and Simon Gotch end up outside. They stay there, so we're supposed to forget about them. And as soon as they resurfaced, it was predictable that they were going to win. They also did the same deal where Hideo Itami's music hit. He stood on top of the ramp, which distracted the Ascension. 
allowing them to get dumped out, and the Vaude villains got the win. The Battle Royal itself was fine, if not brief, but three things happened here that I hated. First, the Vaude villains won. I'm not a fan, I find them kind of boring, but again, matter of personal preference. Second, the Ascension looked like complete idiots as every WWE star does when they allow themselves to be distracted by somebody else's music or their mere presence on stage. When will this epidemic of idiocy stop in WWE? That's what I call it. It's an epidemic of idiocy. And this is not the first time it's happened with these guys. Okay? It's not like you would think they would have learned by now. Okay, it's happened to them before, the whole distraction, then you get beat thing. So this is like the second or third time that this has now happened to them. And third, speaking of idiots, is it Tommy? How many fucking times is he going to run down to the ring like a moron and get his ass beaten down two on one? This time they laid him out. Connor told him, go back to Japan where you belong or we're going to send you back in a box. Now, later in the show... Itami said he was tired of getting his ass kicked by the Ascension. Yeah, no shit. He said, next week, I'm bringing a friend. And that got me all giddy. Next week is the big payoff to all this that we've been waiting for. But I have hated what they've done with these three guys the past few weeks. It's like they're treading water, but they're only making these guys look worse. Nobody comes out of this looking good. They all look like idiots. I mean, it'd be one thing if Itami was wrestling different people and the Ascension kept fucking with him because he cost them the tag team titles, so they keep coming out and laying him out. At least then it would make sense. Okay, they're bullying him. The guy is wrestling matches. He's he's beating people. Because we really haven't seen much of him in the ring. The only match of his I can really remember is the Justin Gabriel match, and he really didn't look that great in that match. He looked... I mean, again, as his first match, he looked a little rough around the edges. He's learning the style. There's certain things I'm sure that he can't do. I don't think we've seen him wrestle a single match since then. Not that I can remember. Maybe he did. Actually, I I take that back. I'm sorry. He did have, I think, a singles match with... uh, Was it with Victor? I think it was Victor of the Ascension. The point is, would it not have been better to kind of feature this guy like you would any new guy. Think back in the day when somebody would debut on Superstar. Somebody would debut on Wrestling Challenge. And I've said before, the modern day NXT is the closest thing we have to that old school Superstar show, the syndicated show that a lot of us grew up on watching back in the day. It was a simple, easy hour of television that advanced the key storylines. It featured guys in mostly squash matches, but it would end with a, with a, a main event feature match every single week. They fit in some interview segments to get some of the angles over, like a you know funeral parlor, barber shop, whatever. It's the closest thing we have to a modern day incarnation of that old superstar show. So why not take a new guy like Itami and put him in there with an enhancement guy for a couple of weeks? Let him show off some of his kicks and some of his moves, and then send the Ascension out to beat his ass down to the point where he says, "I'm tired of this. I'm bringing backup." And then next week we get the big payoff. But, like, everything we've been seeing, it's it just everybody comes out of this looking like idiots. You know, I get it. He's got that Japanese fighting spirit. But by the end of this, the crowd was chanting one more time when the Ascension was kicking his ass, which is not what you want to hear with this new guy that you're trying to build sympathy for. They were like, one more time, lay him out again, because they don't, they don't care. How can you have sympathy for somebody who's so dumb? 
Carmella beat Emma with her head scissors submission, cranking back on the neck for the tap out. This was very sad to me. Um, it's it's nice to see Carmella is moving up the ranks. I, I like Carmella. She's actually pretty good. And uh, she's got one of the more devastating submissions, I think, in all of WWE. And she's been doing this for how long now? Not very long. But I was I was more sad because of Emma. Emma used to be the star of the show. She would come out with her bubbles and her music, and everybody in the NXT arena would be da- doing her stupid dance. And she would just barely pull herself up into the ring. The act was over. And I think people appreciated her because... On NXT, they would give her time to go in there with a Paige or Sasha Banks or whoever. And she was a good wrestler. She is a good wrestler. Not was. She is. Remember that 16-minute match she had on the... It was either the first TakeOver show or uh, NXT arrival with Paige. That girl can go. And she also has one of the more devastating-looking submissions in WWE. We just never have a chance to see her use it. When was the last time you saw her use the Emma Lock? I can't remember the last time I saw it. On those rare occasions when we actually see her wrestling, she usually just ends up getting her ass kicked. So here comes Emma to virtually no reaction. I mean, there's some people doing the dance and cheering for her, but it's like night and day. She hasn't been gone from NXT that long, but people just... I don't know if it's just that they're tired of her as much as, you know, they're just... They've they've been beaten down probably like she has, because people know that Emma made it to the main roster and they don't do anything with her. And it just, it killed the whole vibe. I mean, to see her out there and the people are so not into her compared to how much they were into her before. And that's that's WWE's fault. They killed it. They killed the character. And you see her out there and it's like so sad <laughs> because this used to be her home. This was her place. And now it's like, oh, yay, it's Emma. So, and again, she's on the show being used as enhancement talent to get over Carmella. Whatever, that that's fine. But it's just, I don't know, I was very downtrodden watching this because I still think, no matter what you think of the gimmick, she's a talented girl and she deserves better than what she's getting right now. I could say that, look, I could sit here and say that about a lot of different people on the roster and, you, you look, you've got people who are fatigued of seeing AJ and Paige. It's, I, I like AJ and Paige, but, okay, what else is going on right now in the Divas division? Not much else. I get the Bella storyline, which is kind of self-contained, and that's their little total Divas deal. But they've got so many talented women and they're not doing anything with them. And Emma could be one of those people. Emma can get over just based on her work. I don't care if you think the gimmick is stupid. The gimmick itself will never get over. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. She's stupid. All this stuff. Emma can get herself over in front of just a regular audience based on her work if you give her the chance. I, I really believe that. Whoever you put her in there with, whether it is Paige you know, who who she works well with or whoever, I'm sure Emma would work just as well with Natalia. I'm sure Emma could go out there with Alicia Fox, who I think is actually underrated as a worker, and probably have a good match. But they don't give her the chance. Bull Dempsey is back. They got time for him. Haven't seen him in a while. He beat Justin Gabriel with a flying headbutt off the top rope. Not much more to it than that. Backstage segment, Bailey was pissed that Becky Lynch turned on her last week, and so next week... She wants Charlotte as her tag team partner to face off with Lynch and Sasha Banks. Baron Corbin beat Tony Briggs in less than 20 seconds with the end of days. The crowd at Full Sail actually started counting once the match started to see how long it would go. That's, I guess, the new gimmick now. 
but then they popped for the, it was funny because they popped for him hitting his finish and then they forgot to keep counting so that was kind of sad Marcus Louis beat Sylvester Lafort. I'm not a fan of either of these guys, but I will say, with the bald head and his face all scrunched up when he makes a mean face, Marcus Louis is one ugly-looking bastard. Uh, he really does look like a mini version of Kane. So if they're going with the uh, the Beauty and the Beast, I guess the Beast portion for him, uh, he looks the part. He is not, <laughs> he is not uh, easy on the eyes, let's say that. Sami Zayn and Titus O'Neil in the main event. Same pattern we've seen with all of Titus's other matches on NXT where he kicks the babyface's ass until they make a comeback and they win. Uh, Sammy plays a, a great babyface in peril, so he made this work. He got the crowd in. He's so good at it. Uh, he caught Titus with an impressive exploder suplex into the turnbuckles in the corner, then set him up for the Huluva kick, kicked him right in the face, got the pin, so he gets his redemption. On his road to redemption. Isn't that right, Jason Albert? I like Jason. I actually think Jason Albert could be plugged into the Raw announced team right now and probably be better than Lawler. After the match, Tyler Breeze walked out on stage, told Sami Zayn that if he wants to be number one contender, he's got to get through him next week. See, now that's a match I can get behind. It'll be nice to see Breeze involved in something meaningful, really, for the first time since that four-way takeover. He just, you know, he hasn't really done much since then. I think the the only thing is, the only bad thing is, it's too bad Rich Brennan spoiled the outcome with that production fuck-up last week. It wasn't his fault. It was whoever in the truck ran it uh, when they did that deal where they put the little graphic up before Tyler Breeze's match, and they said, you know, Tyler Breeze, how will he rebound from his loss in the number one contender's match to Sami Zayn? I'm like, what number one contender's match? I hope they didn't just spoil the outcome, and sure enough, they did. Uh, between between that match, though, and Tommy bringing his friend to NXT next week, uh, it is shaping up to be a must-see episode. And I would say this. It is November. They are giving away the WWE Network for free. Free, free, free. And if you have never subscribed to the network before, I- I'll do the pitch for them. Now would be as good a time as any. Because if you subscribe for nothing else, even Survivor Series, if you don't give a shit, if you subscribe for nothing else... You can get a free month of NXT, and it is well worth it. I think it's well worth the $9.99 for that alone. But for free, if I were you, I would sign up, and the first thing I would do is I would catch up on my NXT, especially before the episode coming up this week, which I think is going to be real good. Thank you guys for taking time out of your day to listen to the sound off. I get questions from people asking, how can I support the podcast? Well, the best way to support the show is simple. Just keep listening each and every week. Keep spreading the word about it to friends and family and retweet or share links to the episodes on Twitter and Facebook. But beyond that, you can contribute by making a PayPal donation or by signing up for a free 30-day trial of the Audible.com service. Making a PayPal donation is simple. Just log on to the Solomonster.com and you'll see the PayPal donation box on the right-hand side of the page. Enter whatever amount you'd like and click the Make a Donation button. That's it. Or sign up for a free Audible trial by entering our custom URL, audibletrial.com slash solomonster. From there, you can sign up free for 30 days, which helps us out. You get one free audiobook as part of your trial that you get to keep no matter what. You can browse through their library of over 150,000 titles. Listen to your books at home, on the commute to work, at the gym, whenever, wherever. Sign up at audibletrial.com slash solomonster or visit thesolomonster.com to make a donation right now. And thank you for supporting the sound off. 
Time for TNA. Another episode taped from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania this past Thursday. A big show with a big championship main event that we will talk about here. Samoa Joe and Loki beat MVP and Kenny King to advance to the finals of the tag team tournament that TNA is currently doing to determine new challengers for the Wolves. Uh, this was a long match. Almost 20 minutes they went. Uh, real good match, too. Very nice to see a show open with a 20-minute match instead of a 20-minute authority promo. Uh, I like the back and forth with Joe and MVP, almost like Japanese style. They were they were busting out there for a little bit. Uh, Joe ended up tapping out Kenny King with the Coquina Clutch. We had a Devon promo backstage talking about Bram when all of a sudden he was interrupted by a call on his cell phone. Bram. Up next, in the ring, cutting a promo about hardcore wrestling. The second most played-out thing in wrestling behind heel authority figures is this uh, hardcore shit. Magnus came out. They talked about making all of the hardcore dinosaurs extinct. Hilariously, Devon then came out and introduced Tommy Dreamer. See, now that was funny. That was funny. All four men brawled a bit before all the babyfaces chased off the heels with chairs. Madison Rain apologized to Taryn Terrell for pinning her with a fistful of trunks a few weeks ago to earn a knockouts title match. Taryn didn't want to hear it. This foreshadowed the Madison heel turn later in the show. We had a Shark Boy segment backstage. He was stuffing his face with a hot dog, signing autographs. When uh, Pat Kenny came over, one of the agents, the former Simon Diamond, came over and said, what, What's with you, man? You're out of shape. I need you to be the old Shark Boy. Can you do it? Can you be the old Shark Boy? And Shark Boy said, Shell, yeah. And he walked out. I wasn't sure if this was a play off the, uh, the invasion thing. Remember when Vince McMahon went to Stone Cold and said, I need the old Stone Cold. And then Austin came back and stunned everybody. I could just be completely reading into this too much, but maybe they're playing off that. I don't know. I don't even know where this is going. It doesn't matter. It's just a mid-card comedy angle. Maybe Shark Boy will never come back. He walked out of the building never to return. Who knows? Beautiful people beat Madison Rain and Taryn Terrell when Madison jumped down off the apron, deserted her partner, and then she did come into the ring and ended up taking out the beautiful people, but also turned on Taryn, gave her the raindrop move or whatever it's called, and she walked out. And so both Velvet Sky and Angelina Love then covered Taryn for the pin. We had the Hardys, Matt and Jeff, beating EC3 and Tyrus when Jeff hit the Swanton on Tyrus. So they're protecting EC3. It's obvious, you know, they brought Tyrus in to help get EC3 over. So as much as we can mock TNA for bringing in another ex-WWE guy, I will say it's the best role for him. He's not a good wrestler. He he is best, I think, uh, is Brodus, Tyrus, whatever, in the bodyguard role. And he took the pin here, not EC3. EC3 is the young guy that they've been building. He's undefeated in singles matches now for over a year. I, I give them points for that. They've done a very good job of building EC3 into somebody credible in this company, into a main event caliber performer who, at some point, if they were to put the championship on him, if they ended up taking the belt off Bobby Roode and putting it on EC3, I could see that, and, and I would be okay with that because they have this young guy that WWE did nothing with, that they abandoned, and they've made something out of him. And so they're using Tyrus in this case uh, to help get him over. I would rather Tyrus take the fall in a match like this than EC3. So I'm fine with that, and I thought the match itself was was good. 
James Storm in the ring for an interview with the great Sonata and Manic called out Davy Richards. Uh, the story here, which I do not like, I'm not a fan of this, is that they're trying to convert Davy and bring him into their, their stable, trying to bring them into the fold. Eddie Edwards came out. He challenged Storm to a match. He was trying to talk some sense into his partner. I thought it was all just one big ruse and that the Wolves would just kick ass and attack them. And then I realized that's not what they're doing. Davy Richards is actually considering joining James Storm's faction. Uh, and so anyway, Eddie Edwards challenged Storm to a match right then and there, which Storm won with the last call super kick. Eddie and Davy were arguing when Edwards turned around into the kick. I don't like this. I don't like any of this. It's one thing to take a guy like Sonata or Manic, who have nothing going on, and turn them into Storm's disciples. Davey Richards is one half of the world tag team champions. They just got done beating two of the, the greatest tag teams in history in a series of matches, a classic series of matches. Why would Davey Richards be conflicted as to whether or not he should join James Storm's group? It's just, it's way too contrived for me. And I think James Storm, he does a good job as this convincing, evil cult leader. Like, I like James Storm. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying, for this storyline, for the Wolves, for Davey Richards, it's way too contrived for me. And it makes no sense that he would seriously be considering joining the group and now they're building dissension within the Wolves. I don't like any of this. Main event was Bobby Roode and Lashley for the World Heavyweight Championship. Kurt Angle, special guest referee. And Bobby Roode, indeed, did beat Lashley to win his second TNA World title in a uh, nearly 20-minute long match. Three ref bumps in this match, including Kurt Angle twice being accidentally wiped out by Lashley. First with a clothesline and again with a spear. Lashley then speared a production guy sitting at ringside that was minding his own business. Poor guy got just gored. To death, practically. Uh, Rude bomb on the ramp. He dragged Lashley's carcass into the ring. Tried for the pin. No referee. Brian Hebner came out. They got the near fall. They had a series of near falls in the end that really built up to the climax of the match. Uh, Lashley delivered a low blow out of desperation. Referee didn't see it. And uh, he then grabbed the title belt. Lashley did. Brought it in. Tried to use it as a weapon. But Hebner told him, put that down. So he did. And then he promptly took out Hebner with a clothesline. Finish came with Lashley going up top. Rude grabbed him off the top rope in position for a Rude bomb that Lashley escaped. He went for a sunset flip, but Rude instead hooked Lashley's legs forward and got the pin. I like that. I like that finish kind of out of nowhere. Uh, You don't always have to win with your finishing move. And as many times in wrestling today, and this goes for TNA and WWE and ROH, for as many times as we see guys constantly countering, escaping, you know, I'm going to put this guy on my shoulders for the attitude adjustment or the rude bomb. Basically, they're the same move. And the guy's going to wiggle out, and then I'm going to try for my move, and he's going to wiggle out. Like, how many fucking times have we seen that? You know, this finish, in a way, almost reminded me of the finish of the Bret Hart Davy Boy Smith match at SummerSlam in 92, when this big match, right? 80,000 people, main event, pay per view, and Bulldog wins by basically reversing a sunset flip, right? He hooks Brett's legs forward. There's no way to kick out of a move like that. And he got the pin, and the place went nuts. So I I like that finish. I'd like to see more finishes like that, quite frankly. Uh, And this was a really good match. Uh, I am sad to see Lashley's run come to an end, especially after another dominant win, MMA win, last week. But Bobby Roode is one of my favorites in TNA. 
uh, him and Austin Aries, and and he's more than deserving of the spot. And frankly, if things were to go south for TNA, and I'm sure that in the end they'll land somewhere and they'll survive another day, but let's say TNA did go away, I like the idea of Bobby Roode being their last champion because he's one of those original guys, he's been around forever, he's been loyal to the company, he deserves to be in that spot. I, I thought it was a really good match to cap off a good episode of Impact. So with that, let's move on to the mailbag. If you have questions, you can email them to me, the Monster at gmail.com. I do promise I read everything you send, even if I can't always respond right away. Uh, you can also send MP3 audio questions to me as an attachment. Try to keep them as brief as possible. And always include your name and where you are from. This audio question comes from Dustin Wilmus in Minnesota. Hey, Monster. This is Dustin Wilmus representing the 5 out of Minnesota. And I have a kind of an odd question for you. Just curious your thoughts on wrestlers who release albums. And I don't mean like the WrestleMania album or theme songs. I'm talking like Terry Funk's Great Texan album or Randy Savage's rap album, Captain Lou Albano with NRBQ, all the singles Jerry Lawler put out in Memphis, those sorts of things. Do you have a favorite and what are your thoughts on it? Thanks, man. Love the show. Randy Savage made a rap album. Do I need to say anything more than that? It's hard to top that. Not just the song, but the whole the whole Be A Man album, which you can find on YouTube. It's just unbelievable to listen to, and very ballsy on his part, I think, to even put something like that together. But I, I will point one other thing out. Hulk Hogan was so popular in Japan in the early 80s that he had his own album called Ichiban which translates to number one. I don't think he actually sang on it. He did speak some of the words, though. It's, on, it's also up on YouTube. I wasn't made aware of it until recently, but it's actually amazing. So that that's pretty high up there, along with the Savage album. I might give Savage the edge, but the, uh, the Japanese Hogan album is something that I think everybody should check out. This next audio question comes from Cole in Philadelphia. Hey, Soul Monster, what's going on? Which dream match would you like to see the most? Eddie Guerrero versus Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle versus Bret Hart, Samoa Joe versus Umaga, or Chris Jericho versus Owen Hart? Is Samoa Joe versus Umaga considered a dream match now? I, I didn't know that it was. Um, for me, it's Bret Hart versus Kurt Angle. I mean, look, any of those matches I'm sure would have been great, even Joe and Umaga, but Bret Hart and Kurt Angle to me was always that one fantasy match that got away. I know Bret Hart has told stories about dreams that he's had like many years ago where he would fall asleep and he would be in this dream and he would have Kurt Angle in a headlock and then he would wake up. So Bret Hart was was literally dreaming of matches against Kurt Angle, which is kind of creepy. But uh, no, I think as, as, a, as a match, if I had to pick just one, that would be it, man. That Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Would have been a kick-ass match. Michael from Tucson, Arizona. I wanted to get your thoughts on possibly WWE ending the Authority storyline at Survivor Series, seeing as how it's Team Cena versus Team Authority, 
If Cena's team wins, the Authority can disband. But if the Authority wins, Cena loses his title shot against Brock Lesnar. I could definitely see something like that being added to the match. I almost feel like they have to add some kind of stipulation. You know, to just have a Survivor Series elimination match with no strings attached as your main event. Uh, As much as I like Survivor Series matches, it seems empty. It seems like it's missing something as, as a hook. Uh, again, they're giving it away for free, so I guess who cares? But yeah, I, I think I could I could see something like that being added as far as Cena loses his title shot if his team doesn't win. I don't know about disbanding the Authority, although you know it's hard to believe the Authority storyline now has been going on for well over a year. This this best for business stuff over a year, maybe close to a year and a half by now. So, yeah, this has been going on for quite some time, and I think a lot of us are very tired of the Authority's shtick. As great a character on TV as Triple H and Stephanie can be, you don't have to be doing The Authority. You know, they are the two Authority figures, but this whole Authority storyline, I think, has probably overstayed its welcome. Adam the Maniac Masaglia with Ryback's babyface return this past Monday. It made me think, with Daniel Bryan out for an extended period of time, could Ryback challenge Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship? I liked your idea with Cesaro, but since it seems like he's stuck in a mid-card rut, maybe Ryback could be plugged into that role, have him mow through people until the Royal Rumble. But instead of challenging Brock, since it looks like it'll be Cena-Brock instead, Ryback wins the Royal Rumble match and goes on to face Brock at WrestleMania, with the build-up playing off Ryback being a former Paul Heyman guy. Could you see a Ryback-Lesnar feud, or do you think Ryback is too damaged from his past run? I don't think that Ryback is too damaged to not do a match with Brock. I think you could do a match with Brock. I mean, it was one week, okay? Ryback got a hero's welcome in San Antonio, Texas. Who is to say that on Raw this week or next week, he's going to come out and get the same kind of reaction. I hope he does. I hope it keeps up, and I hope that we have fewer and fewer Goldberg chants, and this guy is over, he's he's just rejuvenated. I hope that happens. I said it earlier in the podcast, though, I don't see Ryback ever getting back to that level where he could consistently be taken seriously as a main event performer slash champion, world champion. He could be an, a solid upper mid-card guy. I think that there's just been far too much damage done, though, for anybody to take him seriously over an extended period of time. So, for example, to slot him in the same spot as Dean Ambrose or a Roman Reigns or somebody like that, I don't see it. I don't see them doing that, and I, I really do think that he's just way too damaged by the way that he's been booked in the past, but... I do think that you could do a Ryback-Brock Lesnar match, a one-off, like you could have done Brock and Cesaro, had Cesaro been built up differently, and they played off the whole Paul Heyman thing, which they didn't. But I would do it at the Rumble. Now, I know that's not going to happen. They've already gone all in on Cena versus Lesnar, and it looks like their plans are set. But in your scenario, I wouldn't do it at WrestleMania. I do not see Brock and Ryback even under the best of circumstances as a viable WrestleMania main event, I, I just I don't see it. I just don't see that as a WrestleMania main event. I don't buy it. But I could see Brock and Ryback in the main event of the Royal Rumble. And like with Cesaro, I said, you don't have to have the strongest championship match on that show. You just have to have a title match because the 30-man Rumble match is what sells that show. 
So you have two strong main events, though. You have the 30-man Rumble match. And if you build him up between now and then, he stays unbeaten. He mows through guys. He keeps getting the reactions he's getting. And yes, you can play off his pass as a former Paul Heyman guy. I didn't even think of that. You could you could have done Brock and Ryback at the Royal Rumble. But I would not do that at WrestleMania. I just I don't think that works as a believable Mania main event. But for the Rumble, sure. They could have done that. Put it this way. No matter what I may think of Ryback, whether he can get back to that spot as a, a true long-term main eventer, I would much, much rather have this Ryback, the new babyface Ryback, back in action, facing Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble than I would Brock Lesnar and John Cena. Lesnar-Cena to WWE is still the bigger money match. To me, it's debatable. The first time, sure. The second time, maybe. The third time, the fourth time, no. The bloom is off the rose. I don't see the appeal in another John Cena versus Randy Orton match. Or, or well, I don't see the appeal in that either. Uh, John Cena versus Brock Lesnar match. I would have much rather seen Randy Orton and Brock Lesnar. I would rather see Ryback and Brock Lesnar. I think that's a fresher, better match. WWE disagrees. It's all about Cena. That's just how it is. Rich writes in, I was watching the Monday Night War episode dealing with Bret Hart and the Screwjob. Everyone kept saying Bret wouldn't do business and had to be screwed out of the title. Vince's biggest issue was that he didn't want Bret bringing the title to WCW television. Why couldn't Vince have just had Bret hand the belt over to him when he returned through the curtain at Survivor Series just in case? Bret wanted to drop it the next night on Raw, so why not have WWF hold the belt then give it back to Bret at the arena the following night? If Brett didn't show, they would still have the belt and could make him look bad. Absolutely. Sure, they could have done that. I think the bigger concern was not even so much the physical belt. There was never any chance of Brett bringing the belt to Nitro. That's one of the biggest misconceptions and one of the biggest loads of bullshit that they peddle on these network specials that just pisses me off. It's their own version of revisionist history. It's not true. And you know what? Brett's back in in bed with WWE. He does business with them. If he's okay with it, then I don't know why I should get upset about it. But Brett knows it's bullshit. Everybody knows it's bullshit. Everybody who knows anything about what happened and read the different accounts and has heard Brett talk about it and other people who were there knows it's bullshit that we had no other choice and this guy was going to go on Nitro with the belt and it would have killed our company. He was never going on Nitro with the belt. There was a reason why Brett wasn't on Nitro at all the next night. People seem to lose sight of that fact. I mean, they came out waving the Canadian flags. They did that whole deal. But Brett didn't show up on Nitro until like mid-December. So this notion, can we please just forget this bullshit notion that Brett was going to show up on Nitro the next night, which he never did anyway, with the belt. Now, you're absolutely right. They could have just taken the physical belt and said, we'll give it back to you the next night. We're going to hold on to this just in case. From their perspective, the bigger issue would have been just WCW being able to go on their television show and announce that they had signed the WWF champion. I guess that was was what bothered them the most. Do I think that Brett should have dropped the belt? Yes. Just drop the fucking belt. Just do what you're told. Drop the belt. Enough of this bullshit, okay? I, I'm on their side in that Brett should have just did what he was told. Brett would contend, the creative control clause and all that, and then it gets a little messier in terms of what does that really entail. But at the end of the day, he should have just dropped the belt. But you know what? From from Brett's point of view, he was more than happy to drop the belt. He would have dropped the belt to the Brooklyn Brawler in Madison Square Garden at a house show. 
He was going to drop the belt at the next pay-per-view and put Steve Austin over as the next big thing. He was willing to drop the belt. But he should have just dropped it when he was told to drop it because at the end of the day, you just you do what you're told. But this notion that, well, we can't have him show up on Nitro the next night, such bullshit. It was never going to happen. They had options. WWE made their choice, but it wasn't the only option they had. That's one of the things I hated when I watched the the special on the whole Screwjob thing. It was like, more than half of this thing is complete bullshit. Parts of it were, were true, but I couldn't, I couldn't even sit through the rest of it. It was so bad. Alexandru from Marietta, Georgia. Considering the injury situation with Daniel Bryan, are you surprised the WWE has not banned the flying headbutt like they have, the pile driver and the vertebraker, considering all the physical and mental problems the move has caused with guys like Benoit and Dynamite Kid? Even Harley Race has mentioned that he regrets innovating the move. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a fan of outright banning moves. Uh, I think strategically used, they can be very effective and safe when they're not used every single night. So if you said WWE is banning the pile driver, I respect their position. It's a safety measure. I'm okay with it. If it were me, I wouldn't have a blanket ban on the pile driver. I would say, when appropriate, letting somebody who is trusted enough to do it hit the pile driver can be very effective, or it could be a finish, or it could be part of an angle if we're going to do an injury angle with somebody, okay? And I used the CM Punk John Cena match on Raw last year as an example. What is the one thing about that match above all else that people remember? The pile driver spot. That's how I refer to that match. I know it was a number one contenders match, but I refer to that as the pile driver match because that came out of nowhere. It shocked the hell out of people, and it really added something to the match. Now they used it as a you know a near fall, you know I mean you could argue that a move like that should be used for a finish, or again as part of an injury angle. But back in the day, I mean the pile driver that's what it was. Some people use it as a finish. Jerry Lawler made a career out of it. But, yeah, the pile driver, if you really pay attention and watch wrestling back in the, the 70s and the 80s and even into the 90s, people were using the pile driver as, you know, for a two count. So even then, it wasn't necessarily treated as, you know, this, this devastating career-ending move. But I think just to say they're not allowed, that's it, they're banned, the only pile driver we're going to allow is the Tombstone, only Undertaker can do it, or Kane, and that's it. Uh, I don't agree with that. I don't think there should be a blanket ban on stuff like that. Uh, because, like I said, I think when used here and there, sparingly, it can be very effective. And that goes for any move. That goes for the flying headbutt, too. Um, but am I surprised they haven't banned it? Yeah, I, I kind of am, actually. And now you got Bull Dempsey using that move on NXT. So you have at least one person now on NXT, the developmental brand, who is using a flying headbutt off the top rope. After there being a, a demonstrated history of people using that move who end up with with neck problems. And I can never really understand that because it's obvious they're not really headbutting the guy on the way down. So, like, where is this pressure on their neck really coming from? It almost seems like the real pressure, you know, they're they're landing on their shoulder maybe or, you know, why would their neck be so impacted by it? But it's just the impact of the move. You know, when you come down, you're a big guy. Even a Daniel Bryan, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's still 200-something pounds, you know, flying off the top rope. And, you know, all that shit, man, it goes to your neck. And it, and it messes you up. So if they wanted to do away with it as kind of a normal 
everyday kind of move. Daniel Bryan was using that in every single match. Every single match he was using that move. I would be okay with cutting back and saying, listen, we're not going to let you use that move every single match. Why don't you use it in big matches only? Okay, use it in selective situations. They, I would be I would be more inclined to endorse that kind of usage of that move. And lastly here, Marcus writes in, in both MLB and pro wrestling, athletes have used steroids for Herculean results and greater fame. Unfortunately, steroids have also hurt both sports in damning ways. My question is, which sport did steroids have the biggest impact on? Major League Baseball or professional wrestling? That is a great question. Uh, Steroids, you know, PEDs have had a huge impact on both. In terms of baseball, who really knows how far back the usage of of performance-enhancing drugs go? You can go back to the Bash Brothers with Canseco and Mark McGuire in the late 80s. I'm sure people were using much earlier than that. But what happened was, you know, baseball, they went on strike, and it was in 94, I want to say it was in 94 that, you know, they had no World Series. Baseball came back, and it was kind of dead. And what resuscitated the sport? It was the home run chase, right, in the late 90s with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And then along came Barry Bonds and his fat head, literally his fat head, in the early 2000s. And all of these monsters started hitting home runs out of the ballpark, you know, 40, 50, 60 home run seasons. And that's what brought people into the ballpark. You know, it became a hitter's game. Everybody was hitting home runs. I mean, who doesn't want to go to a baseball game and see home runs, right? It's boring to a lot of people to go to a ball game, let alone watch one on TV and see a pitcher's duel. Some people are excited by that. Most people aren't. They want to see people bashing balls out of the ballpark. And so that really is what helped resuscitate the game of baseball, whether, you know, you believe they turned a blind eye to it, Bud Selig and all them, who knows? They probably did. There was a lot of that stuff going on back then. And that brought in millions, even billions of dollars, okay? And those, the, the big TV contract that MLB signed, I mean, all of that stems from the game gaining in popularity, which largely happened because of steroid use. But I would say this. Despite the huge impact it had on Major League Baseball, professional wrestling by far. The answer has to be pro wrestling in terms of the, the impact that steroid use had on, on the two industries. You can look at the, the finances of it and say that baseball may have reaped more financial rewards overall. They may have made more money. You know, It's a, a much bigger industry financially than wrestling is. I look at the human toll as being more important than the financial toll. And you look at the human toll of steroid use in pro wrestling over the years. And and steroid use in pro wrestling goes back to at least the 60s. I mean, this is not something like only wrestlers started using steroids in the 70s and 80s. And, And don't be naive, okay? It goes back further than that. But in the 80s, WWF became national. That They became the number one company in the country. They started expanding. Hogan was just the poster child for WWF. And he was also the poster child for steroids. And then that whole thing with the Arsenio Hall show where he went on the show and he lied. And he embarrassed himself and brought all of this undue scrutiny from the government onto the company. Vince McMahon almost ended up going to jail. I mean, it was a whole sequence of events. So, And it could have been a lot worse. I mean, Vince could well have gone to jail, and he had a plan in place for Jerry Jarrett to take over, but Vince was still going to run day-to-day operations from prison. I mean, all of these wacky things that happened. 
But I, I look at the human toll, and I look at all the people that have died. Now, you can say, well, you can't say that all those wrestlers died because of steroids. And that's true. A lot of those guys were doing a lot of other bad shit they shouldn't have been doing. For all the guys that were probably shooting up with needles in the 80s, in the NWA, and WWE, and everywhere else, they were probably doing cocaine. In fact, cocaine was a big thing back in the 80s. That's why when they first put a drug policy in place in 87, it was to cover cocaine. I don't think it covered steroids. It was to curb cocaine use, which was at an all-time high. And Hogan, I think, is an admitted coke user. You don't have to really have him admit to that. Just go watch any of his old promos and... Watch any of the old Randy Savage promos and everybody else back in the day. They were all coked up monsters. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if on the set of No Holds Barred in 89, you know, Vince is in his trailer with Hogan and all they're doing is snorting coke off of fucking stripper's tits. I mean, probably stuff like that was going on a lot back then. That was the 80s. Scarface, you ever see that movie? So it was was happening a lot back then. There was a lot of street drugs and narcotics beyond just steroids that were being taken and a lot of guys died because of of recreational drug abuse back then but you can't discount the impact that steroids had how many how many enlarged hearts have we heard about how many enlarged hearts have we heard about whether whatever kind of steroid it was growth hormone whatever whatever it was in massive amounts right up until recent years it wasn't just contained to the 80s and 90s Guys that were doing that shit in the 80s and 90s paid a very heavy price for that. And so did their families. And so did wrestling. All the scrutiny. I mean, wrestling is a punchline to a lot of people. Oh, wrestling, you know, those guys don't live to be beyond the age of 40. And, you know, it's almost like a joke, but it's not. How many guys never made it out of their 30s? How many guys never made it out of their 40s? That's not normal. So when you compare the rate of steroid deaths in baseball... And there have been guys that have died from admitted steroid abuse or or alleged steroid abuse. But when you compare the rate of guys that have dropped dead at a young age, 30s, 40s, 50s, from PED and steroid abuse in Major League Baseball, whatever that number is, and you compare that number to the number in wrestling, there is no comparison. There is no way that those numbers are comparable. The numbers in wrestling far exceed... Any that you would find in baseball. That no other sport has the reputation that wrestling has of having so many young deaths from steroid use. So for that reason alone, wrestling wins or loses, depending on your, your perspective here. But I think the bigger impact has been felt by pro wrestling. I don't care how much money baseball made off of the, the home run chase in the late 90s and them turning a blind eye all those years and Bonds and everybody else... And they made a shit ton of money off that. And they paid a very heavy price PR-wise for that later on. The bigger impact in terms of human life is on pro wrestling. And just being a form of entertainment that was so reliant upon looking a certain way. And wrestlers feeling as though, I have to look a certain way. Whether they were outright told by the promoter. Or if they were, it was suggested to them. How many stories have we heard of that in the WWF? Where, you know, Vince didn't tell somebody, hey, get on the gas. But, you know, you should get on the gas. And so guys felt that to keep their spot on the roster, they had to do certain things to look a certain way. I mean, look at a guy, look at a guy like Lance Cade. 
I just watched the Shawn Michaels-Chris Jericho ladder match from No Mercy in 2008. Great freaking match, by the way. Just a random match I picked on the network that I haven't seen in a long time. That you know, I know Jericho talks about it in his book, which I'm still, I've got to read. I haven't started it yet. So I said, I'm going to watch that match. And I watched it, and it was a great match. And I had completely forgotten that towards the finish, Lance Cade had gotten involved. Because at that time, Lance Cade was, was aligned with Chris Jericho. I had completely forgotten about that. And Cade was also somebody who had been trained many years earlier by Shawn Michaels. So there was that tie-in as well. And I'm watching this, and Cade is leaving with Jericho. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure he died like the following year. And sure enough, he did. And... I went back and I, I started reading up again on Lance Cade because, you know, he had passed away about three or four years ago at this point. And, you know, you, you hear stories from guys that worked in the company at that time who interacted with him about how he he really didn't want to take steroids, but he felt compelled to or somebody had kind of intimated to him that, you know, we need you to look a certain way. He was frustrated, I think, at that time. Either he had not been called up or they weren't doing anything with him. So he did. He he did whatever he did to look the way he had to look, and then all of a sudden he got called up. And so you read story, and he's just one example of that that I give because I just so happened to to watch a match where he was featured in the other day. But that was in in, in the two thousands. So again, this is not something like well, that's a generation removed, and everything now is so much different, and we have the wellness policy. That's great. That's that's terrific, and I'm happy they have that wellness policy now, and I'm sure it's the strongest it's ever been. And I'm sure overall that steroid use in WWE is probably lower uh, than it's ever been, although I think you're fooling yourself if you don't think that guys there aren't on growth hormone. Of course, they're still on something. But that aside, this is this is not like old hat, people. Like This is still going on. And a lot of people are no longer around because... Just the culture of wrestling being what it is, they felt like, this is what I have to do. And and that's their choice. I mean, look, I'm not excusing their behavior. A lot of those guys that passed away because they abused steroids and they found their hearts were enlarged, nobody put a gun to their head and said, listen, you got to take this shit. They made that choice. That's their responsibility. Everyone should be responsible for their own choices. But that doesn't make it any less sad. I do believe there were plenty of guys who, if they had the choice, would never have gotten involved in stuff like that. But it's wrestling, or I need my spot, Vince loves big guys, whatever the case may be. So it, it, it was like, it pervaded that culture for so long. You can't, you can't say that you know, it didn't have a massive impact on wrestling from just the fact that people felt like they had to do it, still might feel that way, and then the loss of life. Find me another industry. Find me another sport or form of entertainment where as many people have died at a young age from steroid use, growth hormone, whatever, than in pro wrestling. How many dead bodies are in pro wrestling compared to baseball? There is no comparison. You're not finding guys. I mean, you could probably go back right now and find guys that were on Major League Baseball winning World Series teams in the mid-80s and the late-80s and the early-90s. And not every single one of them are going to be around. But by and large, those teams are probably mostly still, if not completely in some cases, still intact. Those people are still living and breathing. How many WrestleManias, how many pay-per-views, if you go back on the network right now and pick any random shows from the 80s and even into the 90s, into the mid-to-late 90s, how many shows are you going to find where, and I find myself doing this too, especially in old Royal Rumble matches, 
where I'm like, dead, 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 dead. It's like I see dead people, and it makes me sad. It's like, I mean, look, time goes by, people get older, some people are going to pass away, but not this many. Find me another industry that's like that. There is none. This week's sad tweet comes from our old friend, for which this segment is named, at Zack Ryder, posted this on Tuesday, said, uh, Bad news, I am not in WWE 2K15. Good news, my internet championship is. And that is true. The internet title is in fact in the video game, and Zack Ryder is not. Perhaps he'll end up as a uh, DLC. You can tweet me your suggestions for said tweet of the week. Let me know, at Solomonster, and uh, I may use it on the show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Solomonster, for uh, live raw tweeting on Monday nights and uh, other fun stuff. You can also email me, the Solomonster at gmail.com is the official email address for any and all feedback and questions for the show. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Solomonster. There's a lot of new content that's been up there over the last couple of weeks. There's a 60-minute long full review of the Bret Hart 1992 timeline shoot interview DVD from Kayfabe Commentaries, uh, which is well worth it, by the way if you want to pick up a copy of that DVD. And uh, Hell in a Cell review, all 35 minutes of that, you can find on the YouTube channel, my interview with Aubrey Sitterson from the Straight Shoot podcast, where we did Hell in a Cell predictions, and also talked some other stuff. A lot of good stuff up there, so please subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can friend me on Facebook, facebook.com slash thesolomonster, and uh, make a PayPal donation on thesolomonster.com. You can make a donation uh, anytime you want to. Donation box is on the right-hand side. $10 or more will get you a wrestling nickname. Again, I do this show for free. Uh, You are under no obligation to do anything that you don't want to do, but that is the quickest, most straightforward, easiest way to show your appreciation for uh, all of the hard work that goes into making the sound of what it is. Just this show alone every week, let alone all the bonus content on the YouTube channel that I try to pump out there, so... Uh, you can make a donation, or you can buy a shirt in our official store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash off. We have 10 different designs up right now, shirts in all kinds of sizes that ship to all over the world, and you can pay via credit and or debit card now, not just PayPal. So uh, lots of different payment methods to choose from, whatever you are most comfortable with. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode of The Sound Off, number 352. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me rant on some pro wrestling this week. We'll be back with a brand new episode next weekend. That's episode 353. And next weekend is the seven-year anniversary episode of The Solomonster Sounds Off. Going to be an episode just like any other. Not uh, planning uh, it to be all that different from the usual show, so we won't be deviating much from the usual format, but that's a big one for me because I I never expected to still be doing this show seven years later, and that's entirely because of you guys just listening, getting other people to listen, supporting the show through the various means that makes it worthwhile for me to keep doing this. So uh, seven years is a big deal for me, and I thank all of you for that, and we can celebrate next week. Big week, big week. Until then, be well, stay safe, Enjoy the week, and we will be right back here next week with our seven-year anniversary show. So until then, take care, guys. The good, the bad, 
and the ugly. The Solomon Monster sounds off. Happy Lee. I had to sit in the stands and watch Granny break a wine bottle over another woman's ass. What a classy lady. And I loved how she went for the cheap pot by pleading with everybody, My mother was born in Brooklyn. As if that's supposed to impress all of us. Guess what? It didn't. They got exactly the reaction they deserved. And the next morning on the Today Show, they talked about their experience. Kathy Lee claimed that she was against appearing on the show in the first place. She had to be convinced to do it. This is all coming from a woman who once made an autistic kid cry on national television. There's a lot of dumb shit this woman has said over the years that should have earned her a lifetime ban from television. She's got no business being on TV. Why is she employed? Why does she have a job? The picture of class, Kathy Lee Gifford. The Solomon Monster sounds off. Since 2007, The Solomon Monster sounds off. Available at the Solomon Monster.com, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and more. Solo Monster sound off.